Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, 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 and welcome to the Chelsea Podcast. It's me, Andy Saunders. Kerry's having a night off, so's Phil. Uh, so I'm joined today by one regular and one newbie. Uh, let's talk about the regular first. Uh, sitting opposite me, uh, favourite of the podcast, uh, Bleach Report's own Gary Hayes. Bonjour. <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to think uh, some Italian, but... I did French GCC, so... You could say bonjourno. <laughs> That's it, bonjourno. <laughs> Let myself down. And a uh, brand new face on the podcast, a virgin, no less. Uh, we have uh, Mr. Connor Riley. Good to be here, chaps. How, how are you here, Connor? Explain to the listeners why you're sitting at this esteemed table. So, I came to the podcast live event. It was um, uh, the Paul Canneville live event. And there was a big quiz at the start. Um... And I won the quiz. I was, it was a draw for the first team. I was sent up and I came first. I won the quiz. Brilliant. So well done. And what was your, what was the winning question in the The winning time question break? was, at which stadium did Chelsea win their second league title? The Reebok. The Reebok. There you go. Can I just say, I, I'm already endeared to, to him because he's got a nice pair of DMs on. I did. The first thing I noticed when I walked in was your red DMs, which I'm considering getting a pair of. But Thuggish. Exactly. That's what cherry, I'm cherry red. Uh, cherry red. Thuggish footwear. We're going to be stomping around Old Street after this. So you came, you came to the live event, Connor, and um, you're a regular uh, Chelsea girl. Where, where do you sit if you go? I'm a season holder. I've been sat in the family section, uh, so East and Lower. Right. For with your family, presumably. Yeah, with yeah. my family. Um, I've been in the family section the whole way through. Um, used to sit shed lower, right on the corner flag where the family section used to be, but that moved. I think it was oh six, so now I sit east and lower. Right, great. Well, let's let's. I get used, st- oh, so I used to I used to sit shed lower on the corner as well because I used to um, my cousin Jamie and his dad used to sit there and we used to nick their season tickets every now and then. And we I remember we went to a game when I was this when I was a young thug. And uh, it was you against Leeds. Never been a thug, yeah, Gary. it was against Leeds, and David Hopkins came on, 
and I just had this urge Talk, to shout talking something. Talking of thugs. Yeah, to shout something about him being ginger, and as I did it, this, as I was about to say ginger, this, this guy next to me put his hand over my mouth and went, look at my son. And I looked, and he was a ginger kid. <laughs> <laughs> he, had, he had some scary tattoos as well, David Hopkins. Yeah, and, and no it, front and teeth. And also no teeth. Him, yeah. him and Craig Burley. Didn't he? He got a massive transfer, didn't he? Because on, on the back of a wonder goal that he scored in the playoff finals. Yeah, for Palace, wasn't it? Yeah, and he went to yeah. Leeds, I think, didn't he? And they, they were showing that the other day on Sky Sports, actually. I was watching it. Right. Funny. Listen, let's get stuck in. We, uh, we've had another fabulous weekend. Um, Chelsea versus Spurs. Late kickoff. On a, what do you think about the late kickoffs? Are you a fan of the late kickoffs on a Saturday? Yeah, I like them. I know you guys last week were talking about there being fireworks, and I was disappointed that it wasn't. What? No, no. Kerry was talking about fireworks, <laughs> and I explained to him that the only reason they were fireworks is because it was fireworks. Not yeah, I thought he had some sort of inside scoop that this time they were going to have more fireworks, and so I was there, and I even tweeted how fireworks about to happen, all giddy, and then yeah, it was just a few lights, and I was disappointed. I didn't think the song was very good. I thought the lights were good. I didn't yeah. get the song. I don't know. I kind of felt like we we're at the theatre a little bit with all yeah. the light show, and you don't like the lights. No, I, I like this new thing that they've been doing where when it sort of gets a bit late, they sort of, just as the players walk out, they, they dim, dim the lights. Yeah. I, think that looks, I think that looks good. But um, the light show, I think, looked, made us look a little slightly um, oh, pathetic. I'm not right. sure. Uh, yeah, we well, see, I think, I think everybody's split on it. I quite like it, but I, I think if you're going to have the lights, you need a banger behind it. And I yeah. think they had this kind of real ethereal music behind yeah. it. And I don't, I don't think the sound system's good enough to to kind of get over what they want to do. I think you just have, you, you need to have two tribes go to war. Mm, it was no, you know, you it was need no to have something Springsteen like that. gig, was it, really? You need to have the river or Thunder Road yeah, exactly. coming over the top. Born to Run. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, Born uh, to Run would be amazing. Uh, I, I like the fact they had, um, they had Zola on the, on the big board, though, because he was doing an event at um, Stamford Bridge earlier on in the week. So they, Chelsea TV got hold of him and he recorded that little intro, didn't he? Which before they had done Gary Cahill on Bonfire Night, where he... Did it like Mission Impossible? Oh, and that was strange when he sort of lit something. Yeah, yeah. Like, oh, yeah but they, they got yeah. Zola doing something this time, which I thought was good because obviously Zola's yeah, you, you get a the legend sense, that we all you love. You get the sense that a lot of these ideas are really good ideas in the pub. <laughs> just not so good yeah. when you come. I to don't know. Them. I reckon it's uh, someone who's probably paid a lot of money to make us look good. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It doesn't. I think when you're when you're working with the resources that you've got for a forty thousand crowd, you've just got to make it lowest common denominator. Yeah. You've got to make it banging tunes, big fireworks, big lights, and and then get on with the football. You know? Do you think it has something to do with um, Mourinho's comments? I think it was two years ago. When he complained about atmosphere, it was against QPR, wasn't it? When and it, that I think goal. it was only after that that we've started getting these sort of pre-match shows. I think, sure I think atmosphere's been an issue at the bridge for a long time, and I think it, you know there's a lot of factors behind that. I mean, we're talking uh, about a fan base that's a very different fan base from when I was watching football uh, when I was younger, um, and there's obviously been discussions, presumably within the marketing department, about how you do that. I think the problem is if you try and manufacture atmosphere yeah. sometimes you can come across as a little bit inauthentic I thought like, my issue with um, Saturday was I th it felt like we were it kind of felt like the Super Bowl no I, I understand your point there and yeah. I think that the, the club are trying so you give them credit for that but I'd like to see them work more with the Chelsea Supporters Trust and you know the We Are The Shed campaign because those guys are trying to do something positive and I agree I think it'd be good for the club to have more uh, yeah engagement with them yeah, and to I use a buzzword absolutely and uh, it seems to me that um it's not as bad as Arsenal, where I think they actually pipe in crowd noise. 
You know, they actually that is a, hilarious. Yeah, where they where I they not only do they have their own crowd noise, they put a sort of background wash of crowd noise in as well. You know, mm. so but when, stadium we, tour. we haven't mm. got we haven't got to that level yet. <laughs> Listen, let's talk about the game. Um, as I say five thirty kickoff on Saturday, an unchanged team. Uh, I think for the sixth consecutive league yeah, game. Yeah, that's right. Because William was changed from the whole game. That's right. So seven. seven straight wins. 19 goals scored, one conceded. Mm. Let's have a look at the team. Uh, Courtois in goal, obviously Moses and Alonso as the outlying full-backs. Uh, a sort of solid mid-three, mid three, uh, centre-back three of Azpilicueta, Luis and Cahill. Matic and Kante uh, behind Pedro on the right, Hazard on the left, and then Costa in the middle. That's That's been the unchanged situation for the last mm. six weeks. And, you know, you look at William, and William came on as a substitute. It's very difficult to see how he can replace Pedro. So let's talk about Pedro first, because he got a little bit of stick in the first... Well, up until he scored his goal, really. I mean, a lot of people were, well, certainly around me, dissatisfied with his performance. And then he obviously pops up and scores a wonder goal. What do we think about Pedro? I think that's just a sign. That goal is a sign of the player that Chelsea thought they were signing. But, yeah, it's interesting because we were speaking about it before the game, weren't we, when um, when we were having some lunch before and we were talking about the comparison between him and William. And I think that now Pedro's playing as that inside right. That's the position he played for Barcelona. And you're seeing him not only more confident, but he's impacting games because he knows what he's doing. Whereas when it was the 2-3-1 uh, in terms of the midfield and the attack, uh, he was always playing more as a winger. And he was trying to do the role, it was almost like a, a hybrid role of the attacker and not so much a wing back, but still having to work that channel so much in the way that Moses is doing now. And he doesn't have that, that stamina to do it, but it's not his game. He doesn't have that strength. Whereas now you see him that, you know, it sounds so simple and it's almost becoming a cliche now because it's being spoken about so much, but Hazard playing football in the final third, getting the ball in the final third and, and attacking teams there, and it's what Pedro's doing, but because Hazard's been so impressive, we haven't really spoken about Pedro so much. But I think that the way the system is, is set up around him actually being able to play like that, like he did at Barcelona, and now you're seeing that he's got that spring in his step, he's got his mojo back, and he's able to pull something out of the bag that, quite frankly, up to that point, Chelsea didn't deserve. So it was impressive. Yeah, I also think Pedro's the sort of player that you need in your team when you're playing very, very well. I think last year was sort of a tough time for him to join Chelsea because he's coming from Barcelona who have almost complete possession and just win almost all of their games. And to come into a team that was playing incredibly poorly, in which the manager was getting a lot of stick, a lot of players, other players were playing poorly, I don't think that really suited him. And also, I mean, I'd rather keep Pedro in the team because... I think Pedro at his best and William at his best. I think Pedro has more effect in terms of goals and assists. I think William was probably our best player in our worst season in 20 years. And I think he scored a few free kicks at the start of the season. He worked hard when other players weren't. But I still... I don't think he gets enough goals anyway. I think if I have an issue with William, it's his final product too. Yeah. And... Um, <sighs> I said this a lot last season, is if the boy had a final product, if he had a killer pass and he had a finish in front of goal, he'd be world class. The fact of the matter is that what you get with William is a really efficient workhorse um, who will chase everything, who will give it 100%, who will create things, he will create things, he will score the odd goal. Mm. 
But he's not a ruthless finisher, and he's not a quarterback in the sense that he's going to pick the killer pass. And Pedro, whilst I think he's a little lightweight, and I think that problem with the crowd had on Saturday was when we were getting bullied in the first 20, 25 minutes yeah. with that really high press. We're looking at Pedro getting bullied off the ball by Dembele, by you know some of their bigger players in midfield, and thinking what we need is William on to give us a bit of steel. But actually, keeping the faith in Pedro led to that moment of magic that completely turned the tide of the game. It almost goes back to that point, though, that... In terms of that first half performance, the way they were playing, because Pe- Pedro wasn't playing in the opposition half, he was starting to see his weaknesses, and he was picking up the ball a lot deeper, like you say, and uh, Dembele and Wanyama, I was really impressed with them too. Uh, you know, the way they dominate that, you know, that first half so much in terms of that midfield battle. And, um, but it was, it was when the game opened up slightly that you saw Pedro and it, you know, come to you know, do what we know he can. But it's really interesting because we compare him and William just because they occupy the same part of the pitch, but at the same time they're completely different players who play different roles. And William excelled playing in that role last season because that is the role he's there to do. He's much more of a box to box player than yeah, Pedro is. And Pedro's excelling now because he's playing his role, whereas William sitting in there from the beginning playing that role wouldn't have had the you know the craft to pull off what Pedro did. But equally when the going was getting tough, Pedro wasn't suitable to play. So it's almost like they're, they're being tired with the same brush, but they shouldn't be because they bring different qualities where I think that they can play in the same team, but if they're playing in the same team, it means Williams has got to you know, be in a different role. Because I think that you know, attacking-wise, Pedro's just got so much more going for him. Yeah, I think Pedro's the sort of player that you want in your 18-yard box. Yeah. As in front of goal, he's a lot better. William has the ability to beat four men running from his own, from, running from his own half. As soon as he gets to the goal, he seems to stop. Mm. And sometimes when he goes one on one, you kind of think, just take the man on. You've been doing it all game. I don't think any of us are criticising William because, I mean, he was our player of the year last year. As you say, a very, very good player and a very poor team. I mean, almost similar in a way to Matter. You know, when he was the best player in a poor team, you know, um, and Matter's gone on and, and, and found found his role, I think, at Manchester United to a degree. But he's still a very good player in a poor team there. Mm. And uh, I, I think that it's interesting because people were getting very, very upset about Pedro. And again, illustrates the fickleness of some of our crowd. It illustrates that. Well, I think that's just football fans in general. Well, it, illustra- it illustrates the, the, the emotional, you know, frailties of some of our crowd. I mean, you know, for goodness sake, we, we conceded a goal for the first time in seven games, yeah. you know, in the 11th minute when Ericsson scored an absolute worldie. I mean, he had a little bit of space, but it was still a brilliant goal. Yeah. And you would have thought the world had ended around us, you know, and it's like, we've just come off the back of six straight wins yeah. without conceding a goal. We weren't ever going to well, go forever the funny without, thing is as well without is conceding a goal. It, it just ticked over to 10 hours without conceding the goal when he scored. It was like 10 hours and 20 seconds or something Amazing. like that. So it just yeah. puts it into perspective, doesn't it? And, you know... <laughs> I'm probably blaspheming on a Chelsea podcast praising Spurs, but I really like them. I think they're a really good team, and I think the way they played that that first half, especially, they looked really impressive. The problem is they can't sustain it for 90 minutes. This is the problem, I think. If you look at the teams that are, that are playing that high press this season, if you look at them, particularly look at Liverpool, um, unless they can win the game in the first 25 minutes with that absolute yeah. gangbusters high press, yeah. they're in trouble because when it gets to 60, 70 minutes, they do visibly run out of steam. Yeah. And I think the fact that we managed to keep it down to one goal, <laughs> get ourselves back in the game, um, I think they were always a threat going through the team, but they didn't really, you know, they didn't really put us under massive pressure. They had a lot of possession, but it was more a case of they weren't creating much, which I think speaks volumes to the defence, and that there is the frustration that Ericsson had that space, but you look at it and you think, there's players, he's a good, he's, I say he's a good player, he's play probably um, damning him with faint praise, I think he's an excellent player, you know, and I think you look at Harry Kane and 
another, I think he's an incredible striker. And I think you're playing against players like that, you're going to concede goals. They're going to find space. It, it's not bad defending that those players find space. They find space because they're good players. They're, they're creative players. They know how to read the game. They put themselves in positions where defenders can't really pick them up. And that was credit to, to Ericsson, the way he got the, you know, the ball in that area and the way, the way he executed it. So I don't think it was down to Cahill, David Luiz or Aspilicueta. I think it was just down to good... Every, every goal play. you concede is essentially a mistake. You know, yeah, it is. Course, I mean, you look yeah. at you can look at a mistake for every goal because otherwise it wouldn't be a goal. Well, both uh, our goals, Spurs must be tearing their hair out. I yeah, mean, and the they space sat off. Pedro didn't had, they? and yeah. had. Yeah. What a turn though by Pedro! Because yeah. what's brilliant is you, you look at. I think it's um, Wanyama just running the wrong way. Yeah. You know, when he when he uh, when he does the turn, it's, and it's a brilliant finish. The second one, though, I mean, ball watching. I mean, it's kid stuff, isn't it? Yeah, yeah and they're allowing Moses to run ball. seventy yards un- untracked, and but also the reason that Pedro had so much space is because Alonso. He wasn't on screen at the time, but Alonso was pushing up yeah. yeah so their fullback was tracking Alonso and what the wings back wing backs give us is that because they're always so high up the pitch that they always feel like they have to mark them even if they're not involved in the game so I think Pedro turned around didn't realize how much space he had because they moved across to Alonso and just turned around and smashed it in yeah. how much of a factor do you think that Danny Rose was out and then Ben Davis was out and they had to play Vimmer at left back I thought they'd gone three when I first looked at it but they did play a back four yeah they did um, and actually what, what they were what they were uh, very good at in the first half was keeping Moses and Alonso in their own half by pushing up and I think as soon as we started to get on the front foot push those two forward take a little bit more of a risk then things started to happen and you're absolutely right you know Alonso and Moses giving us width kind of it, it does create that space for quick mobile players listen we're going to take a little break now and we'll be back straight after this Give software vendor audits the red card by signing up the Livingstone Managed Service Team right away. Call 0203-817-4880 or visit livingstone-tech.com to find out how. Welcome back to the Chelsea Podcast. I'm here with Gary Hayes and uh, our special guest, uh, Connor Riley. Um... Guys, uh, after the Ericsson goal, um, when you know things looked a little bit, uh, a little bit down, it looked like they were bullying us off the ball. We got back into the game, and um, and and it just felt like at some point there was a tipping point. I mean, apart from the Pedro goal, do you, I mean, can you think of a, a moment in the game when it really started to move for us? Well, I can, I can, I can feel a moment when it started moving against us. Um, I don't want to be negative for the sake of being negative, but um, it was something I wrote about on the back of it, and I'd asked Conte about after the game as well was Courtois' um, distribution and how that. You know, we, we've just been talking earlier about how we, um, you know, were praising Wanyama and um, Dembele for the way they played, but the way Spurs pressed Courtois, you know, I, I know they did it to Bravo and they've, they've done it in other games, and it's part of the way, you know, their strategy, but. They seem to target Courtois, and he just seems so limited in terms of when we had goal kicks. They were they would put men on David Luiz. They'd leave Aspilicueta free, uh, free, and he'd pass it out to Aspi, and then immediately, you know, you had um, Son or Kane pressing Aspilicueta, and the ball was just going right up the field and coming right back at Chelsea. It was obvious what they were doing too. Yeah, and and the point I made is that I got a lot of criticism for it because I think people read the headline and not the actual article because yeah. the headline was that is Courtois Chelsea's weak link and the reason being is not because he's a poor goalkeeper it's because the system that Chelsea play they don't necessarily need an absolutely world class goalkeeper they need you know someone who's more of a player and I'm 
I compared him to Bravo just because it's more topical because this season you've seen England number one leave City and he's been replaced by a goalkeeper who's been criticised for what he's like as a goalkeeper but what he brings to that City team is different and I think you know Chelsea have conceded less than a shot a half for the last uh, seven games uh, that's the first goal that Courtois has conceded since late September yeah which I think as a goalkeeper is fine but then if you, if you look at you know, it's, that's, that's impeccable. It's amazing. But if you look at the shots he's had to save as well, he, he hasn't had to save he hasn't because faced of the, a lot of shots. The system time, that Chelsea are playing, yeah. and you look and you think. But I mean, mm. are you using that as a stick to beat him with? No, no, it's not, it's not a stick to beat him with. It's a case of just looking at this system and. Just thinking that... Because you can always argue, and we've said it before, that Czech played in front of one of the finest defensives ever. Yeah. And his stats are really good as a result of him playing in yeah, front of it's, it's Galas, Terry, you know, I mean, whoever. You know, it's, uh, you know, Carvalho. Uh, I mean, an amazing defence, plus Makaleli. I mean, whoever, you know, whoever sits in front of the goalkeeper's got to take, a, you know, a, as much stick or as much credit as the yeah, goalkeeper. Yeah, no, sure, sure. It's, I'm not criticising Courtois as the goalkeeper because I'm a big fan of his and I think he's... He's excellent. I, I had this um, you know, conversation with Christophe Thoreau, who's a Belgian journalist, on the back of it, because he'd read it. In French, I hope. Yeah, in French. Pure, purely French, and, and a little bit Flemish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the, the, the point was, it was more about Courtois as the player, and um, hence why I'm saying he's a weak, weak link, because... Didn't, didn't Conte come out and say, I told him to do that? Yeah, you know, which, was, was... which was based on the, the line of questioning I was giving. But the point is, is that <laughs> it wasn't about him being told what to do, you know, it's, there's being encouraged to play from the back, but it's spotting that what you're trying to do with Aspilicueta isn't working. So then realising, right, I need to start using another outlet and I need to start speaking to the players to get other options and, you know, working out. Because we talk about great players being able to go out on the pitch, play in a system, but then it's those players that, you know, turn the game on its head, like Pedro did. You know, that Pe- Courtois, uh, sorry, uh, Conte wasn't giving Pedro instruction to get on the box and turn Wanyama quick and shoot. That was down to his own invention. And yeah, that's the point I, with Courtois. I don't think he is inventive enough. And I think maybe that, if you're looking for a weak link in this team, again, I don't want to sound just negative for the sake of it. But I'm not, I'm not sure I'm with you on that. I mean, I know, I know what your point is, and there's absolute sense and, and thought behind that. I mean, I looked at that, and it was frustrating. And you do think, well, that's an instruction to play out from the back. The problem is you had Courtois, uh, Costa, who was isolated on the yeah. halfway line. Uh, you know, everybody was dealing with this press. It just would have come straight back if he'd have booted I'm, I'm, I'm not saying but send it long. It's, it's, See, you know, I, I think a lot of those times he was passing out to Dave or to uh, Cahill, you either had Alonso or Moses that were free anyway. And there are options and, in the middle with... And Matic. I also think the, the idea of saying, oh, I told him to do that, sounds so much like Roberto Martinez. When Wigan were losing 4-5-0 and they were passing it around the back and Everton were doing the same... And they would sort of say, say, you know, when John Stones would lose the ball and they concede a goal, he'd say, no, no, blame me, because I've told him to do that. But when it's not working, and you're 1-0 down at home to Spurs, I don't see any issue with going long. I don't, I don't think Except it's a case of going, going long. Straight back. But you, going long doesn't just mean smashing up to Costa, because, you, you, you know, you, you push Moses up, you try and get him onto the ball. But that was the point. They were pinned. They were pinned. Yeah, th- they, were the pinned. They, they were pinned. And but, just, just push up the pitch, because playing out the back means you actually got a very, that, very But that's, deep, a, that's yeah. a fundamental team decision then, isn't it? That, yeah. It is. It is you know, a team and, decision. And, that, and that's what they changed, and that's yeah. where we got on the front yeah. foot. Yeah. The, the point I was trying to make was that... Um, if you look at it, that they were inviting so much pressure on because Courtois just didn't know what to do with the ball. And he was panicking, you know, and he came out five minutes before the start of the second half and he was warming up, kicking the ball with the coach. And um, Christoph said to me, he, he does that frequently, but I, I haven't seen it. But I just thought that it was a case of, you know, it was, it was an evident, it was a clear weakness that Spurs had targeted. 
And you know, I'm saying I'm not saying Chelsea should drop. Courtois. No, I know you're not. I know. I, I, I don't even see it as being negative. I just, I just wonder when you're playing under team instructions, how much freedom you've actually got to do oh, that. I think there is and I was freedom, looking though. at it, and I was thinking, are are Matic and Kante free, or are they being picked up as well? I didn't see a lot of space there. To try, just, yeah. just to interrupt before you say something, Connor, just before I forget, because what I tweeted at the time that um, it was about 20 minutes in, and David Luiz was going full hairdryer. And I wasn't sure if it was at Courtois or the fans, because the fans were getting on his back. Um, and then when I published I think my article... It was at, I think it was at Courtois, because well, at one point, I'm certain he put the ball down and passed it out to us for the equator without even looking. Yeah. Because right. I know someone's right on him, and he sort of just did it instinctively, as if he'd been told right. to do it. it it's it's, it's, it's interesting look. you say it, because then, um, when I put the article out, um, friend of this parish, Rick Glanville, he messaged and said, yeah, he was having a go at Courtois. Okay. Um, which, which, again, just feeds into the idea that he has been told, use Aspie as the outlet, but then when things started going wrong, it was almost like he was too robotic in that he just didn't know what to do. So he was yeah. reverting to type, out to Aspie, out to Aspie, and there are other options there. I'm not saying that they're always the right option, no. but I just thought that he could have been a bit more inventive, and it was at the, the moment, like you say, in the second half when they stopped playing like that and they were able to ease their way into the game and play out from the back more, which is what Conte wants, and you know, it's to be expected as well, you know. But then you have Lloris, one of the so-called sweeper what, what keepers. What did to Hazard. You yeah. know, who just yeah. gave the ball to, yeah, to that, Eden Hazard. That was, that so, really you know, you, 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 I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, listen, I don't want to get obsessed on this because um, I think it's a point well made and, and definitely worth discussing and bringing up. But hopefully, you know, they'll have learned from that um, situation where teams are going to press the full-backs and, and try and get on well, the front foot a bit early. We're only seven games into a 3-4. Exactly, three. it's a work in progress. I mean, if, we'd, if we'd lost maybe two or three of those games, I wouldn't have even been that upset. I'm quite glad that we're no longer playing 4-2-3-1. Yeah, We've been playing it for so long. I've always said if we can take four points out of six out of these two games, Spurs and City, then I'd be happy with that. You the know, fact so. that we've won the first one means we can get a draw. Exactly. Listen, I mean, talking about Courtois, he was one of five of the Chelsea starting lineup who weren't born the last time Spurs beat Chelsea at the bridge. That's uh, interesting <laughs> to know. Yeah, unbeaten by Spurs. Uh, Spurs haven't beaten Chelsea in 30 games at Stamford Bridge since February 1990. That's 26 years, and have only taken eight points from a possible 72 from those those games, so really do have the, the hoodoo over Spurs at the it's, moment. It's strange as well, isn't it? Because it's different play. you know, I think it was David Howes. Who was Howes, the last player? David Howes who scored that goal, wasn't it? No, who was the last player to score against Chelsea at Stamford Bridge for Spurs? Uh, a winning goal. Oh, Sorry, well, was it David Howes? Or was, it was either David Howes or Gary Lineker? They both Gary scored, Lineker. They both go. scored that day, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, yeah. Um, so Gary Lineker got the winning goal. So we, I wasn't sure if it was Howes, but it's interesting because there's so many players that have passed through White Hart Lane since then. Yet that well, but as many managers, 16 different managers and that, since it, it 1990. It on their shoulders. You could see when Pedro scored that goal, normally I'd dash down, down the tunnel to get my cup of tea, but... I just, I just felt compelled to watch them walking down, and they, the Chelsea players were like big and tall and heads up, and Spurs just had their heads down, looking at the feet, and it was almost like then they had 15 minutes to ponder the fact that yeah. they had dominated Chelsea for that entire half, and then they were in the dressing room just thinking that here we go again, and it's totally different players, you know, totally different uh, era, everything else, but it just seems that that hex just hangs over that club that they play us at. Well, I say they play, you know, they play Chelsea at, at Stamford Bridge, and. They just can't get over it. Even at White Hart Lane, you know, they, they've only won twice, you know, two or three times in, in that time since 87, I think it is. So you, you weren't even born last time that Spurs won at Stanford. No, I wasn't, thank, thankfully. So. <laughs> so when were you born? 94. So four, you wow. weren't born until four years after the last time Spurs won at Stanford. I was, I was seven years old. 
Yeah, I'm significantly older, but we won't dwell on that. Um, <laughs> and Chelsea have won more Premier League matches against Spurs than versus any other opponent. Um, I'm not surprised. 25 matches. You know, we, it's it's a really interesting matchup. And if you compare even the game earlier on in the year, the 2-2 game that you know stymied their league yeah. campaign, even then when they were 2-0 up, it you, just, could it. you could feel it. You could feel the could tension. Feel it, yeah. yeah, you could feel it. And it's it's even just going back to um, to games in you know in the 90s when we were a team that would be struggling. You know, when um, when Hodder was manager. And um, we we were three was it three 0 down or three one down and you know they, they missed a the penalty and then we won the game four three and you know it's Mark I think it's Mark Steen Mark Steen scored the winner and it's just those moments that no matter where Chelsea are form wise or as a club Spurs is one of those games that the players really get up for anyway but they just seem to have that psychological you know dominance that they don't have over another club mm. in terms of you know th- th- how strong it is anyway yeah. there was also a lot of talk before the game about how. A lot of Spurs players want revenge for the 2-2 last year. Yeah. And that, I think it was Lineker said that he'd been speaking to Danny Rose over the summer. And Danny Rose had said the one game that he was looking out for in the fixture list was Chelsea, Chelsea away. And I didn't really see that from Spurs. I thought they dominated. They played really well in the first half. But as soon as the goal went in, as soon as we equalised, it's almost as they just stopped believing. Yeah. And you, you, sure. you didn't see Eric Dyer... Li- Again, I'm going to sound like I'm you know, going well, over the top. He's not a centre-back. But I, I, think I really like him as a player. I he's, think he's not a good a player, but, and you didn't see him losing his head. He's actually went backwards since when Yama's joined Spurs. Well, because that's, he what, played, that's yeah. his position. Because he played really well, and he made, he made that position yeah. his own. And since he's moved back, since Alderweireld has been injured. Yeah. But when you played I think Alderweireld was a massive loss. Yeah, yeah, I thought is. Danny Rose was a big loss. I, um, I think Danny Rose is even bigger, because I think what Kyle Walker did to Alonso, I mean, let's say Kyle Walker... Skinned Alonso four or five times. There was a moment when he just chips it over his head and just ran on. We know this about Alonso, yeah. don't we? And also, if that was happening on both sides, if you had yeah. Rose go down one side and like Walker down the other, then it might have been a bit more difficult for us. Louise continues his, his good run of form. Sitting next to him, Gary Cahill made his 200th star on Saturday. That little three-man uh, triumvirate of uh, Cahill, Louise, and Azpilicueta. That seems to be working really well, doesn't it? I, I think David Louise is not getting enough credit for how well he's playing. Still, I think still capable of making a ricket, though. I mean, well, he did make I, one, one I have, moment where I have did. an issue with that. I have an issue with the fact that no one can discuss David Luiz without saying, oh, we've still got mistake in him. Well, he does. Well, I'm, I'm still yet to see it. Well, he made one because on Gary Saturday. Ka- Gary, gave the Gary Cahill <laughs> is more than, more, I think, more likely to make a mistake at the moment than David Luiz is because yeah, he has so much of the ball in his position. And you, if you watch him closely... His job is really to receive the ball off David Luiz or from the goalkeeper and play into midfield. He never looks comfortable doing it. See, I, I think with any defender, there's a mistake in any defender. What The way I'd look at David Luiz and i look at Cahill is that if there's mistakes they're making, it's because they're trying to play positive football. It's a mistake that David Luiz might make because he's trying to get the ball out and they're trying to get the ball forward. Yeah, I, I, think I, it's I, the don't, same disagree with with well. I don't disagree I with that at all. I don't disagree with that at all. And yeah, you, want, you, you don't want to see, you know, these mistakes being made but it's going to happen when they're it's not so much they're taking risks but they're actually trying to play positively they're they're putting themselves out there and there's going to be mistakes made because you forget it's the Premier League you know this isn't League One against Wickham Wanderers or you know Bristol Rovers they're playing against elite players and if I'd have said to you seven eight games ago we're going to go the next seven games with Moses Azpilicueta Luis Casil and Alonso and we're not going to concede against Spurs Man United Everton all these teams there's going to be no you wouldn't you would have laughed me I, don't, I don't think Conte would have believed you if no. he's 
if, if he'd said that. But so we have to give them huge credit. Listen, I, I, I'm not down on David Luiz. I think you, I think Gary's nailed it in the sense that you know this is a player that you know that is positive, that moves forward, that you know sometimes goes diving in, that sometimes you know is overconfident in possession. I would rather that than a hesitant player who sat back in their 18 yeah. yard box, who was a little bit kind of rooted to the spot, passes sideways. Yeah, exactly. Um, I mean, it, we can't get complacent though, can we? No, at not all. at all. Not at all. And I think that. It was a big test against Spurs, but obviously the the big one, um, you know, without getting ahead of ourselves on, on the pod now, but the big one comes against City because not only are you going, you know, to the Lions Den, you're doing it against probably the best footballing team and they're going to have to play without a lot of the ball and it's going to be really interesting to see how they, they cope with the runners. They, they, you know, they'll play between the lines, they'll, they'll be swapping positions and you'll probably put Yaya Torre in there to combat against Matic. Where do you put Costa against Aguero? Oh, this is something that I've been banging on about for two years. That, and it's not because he's a Chelsea player or anything like that. I just my my view is that Diego Costa is the best striker in the Premier League, not the best goal scorer, the best striker. If and you had if you had a fantasy team with Costa and Aguero in it for Saturday, who would you make captain? Diego Costa. What about you? I think Aguero is probably the more talented footballer, but I'd rather have Costa in my team because I think when Aguero is not scoring. But in your fantasy team where it's double points. Well, I've actually got I've got <laughs> I've actually got both in, so it doesn't so really right. matter. But, yeah. um, but who would you make captain? Well, I, I make Diego Costa captain because if we're playing, See, City, I can't I, do this. I can't. I, I actually have a massive issue with fantasy football. I only do it because I'm at work, and it's a big thing at yeah, work. I think we all but do. I but just, listen, I mean, it's just an interesting yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, interested in way of saying if you had to choose between the two of them. See, my, if my I put view, Diego Costa and Aguero on the table now and said you can have one of them, would you still take Diego? Yeah, but just just to go back to the silly view of it, doing fantasy football, but I'll do it in the office as well, but I don't pick Arsenal, City, United, Liverpool or Spurs players. Just surely, because... Surely so you so where, are you, where are you in the league then, Gary? No, <laughs> I, I, normally, I normally finish about third or fourth. No, because, you don't. Yeah, How because you get someone like Vardy who, who starts doing something. Or, you know, a couple of years ago when Ujoa started scoring loads of goals for Leicester, you get him in. But I just look at it, because we, we all put a pound in, and I just think, I don't want to make any money out of Man City winning points. See, I put a tenner in and I don't like... A week? No, no, like oh. a, no tenner overall. But I don't, think I'm working I don't the like the fact that you see Liverpool are three up, but you think, oh, at least Coutinho scores. So that's my issue with see, it. I'm not, see, I, 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 I don't. don't that, that's why it's, I don't. It's, do it. I don't, I don't like to, it's thirty quid to enter my barber's league. See, we, we do it a week, and you win twelve quid or something like that. Right. But but going, going back to the serious question and the point you you were going to make is that I think that Aguero is an absolutely incredible goal scorer. He is the best goal scorer in the Premier League without a shadow of a doubt. He's an I'd agree. absolutely wonderful player. And the biggest mistake Chelsea have made in recent years is that when they could have signed him from from uh, Atletico, they didn't, and that they let him slip through their grasp. And obviously, he's gone to City, and he's he's won them. Titles and everything. I think he's an absolutely incredible player. But as an out-and-out striker, there isn't a better player than Diego Costa. And the point with that is Moses' goal at the weekend. There's not another striker that runs those channels like that and is so unselfish and works so hard for the team that you'd get another striker trying to take a shot there. But instead, he gets to the byline and he pulls it back. Okay, he got lucky because he just put the ball in there. It was a bit of hit and hope, hoping that someone would be in there. And Moses just appeared out of nowhere. But ask me who I choose. Andy, who would you choose? Costa. I'd choose <laughs> Costa because I think he has a physical presence that, that Aguero doesn't. I think Aguero is a yeah. clever, 
intelligent, slippery player with an almost supernatural sense of space and an incredible ability to finish. He got a very lucky goal against Burnley, though. That was. But that's the thing, but, you know. Him. The thing yeah, about I suppose it's the luck. But well, listen, then, as they say, I the, thought Fernandinho deserved the credit for that goal. And I thought that was the hardest he just work. The luckier yeah. you get. Yeah. See, and, and that's the thing is that Costa gets lucky goals. Like the goal against Middlesbrough was lucky in that it fell for him perfectly. Oh, I thought but, that was instinct. But, thought, but that's the yeah. point is that it's luck. Mm. But it's luck that's brought about by instinct, and yeah. that's the same with Aguero. He just has this knack for finding himself in the right position and you know what, what Costa started to do really well this season that he didn't do last season was move in the box I he's think constantly moving he's perpetual movement just because he, he's was, he I, was well uh, yeah that was my point I think he looks fit I think he looks fit as well, well I, but think, apparently I think he came back last year something like was it two stone overweight well I heard it was a stone overweight but you could, you, even, you could even yeah. <laughs> you could even you could even see Probably it from can some see of the, me right now. You can see it from some of the pictures last year. He just he looks looks a bit leaner this year. Yeah. Looks a bit quicker. I think so, and I think if you look at a lot of the games from last year, he's standing on the edge of the box waiting for the pullback. Whereas now he's just moving. He's and yeah. that's how he got that goal against Barra. He was moving he when was nobody only, else yeah. was. He was the only player. And that's what Aguero does brilliantly. He's always moving, and he just pops up. And yeah. you turn around and say that's lucky. Well, he's in the right place at the right. So many times, it's that striker's that can't instinct. Be, can't be luck. You know? Yeah, um, but. Uh, just just on Costa as well is that um, again I'm, I'm, anyone who might read my stuff is probably going to fall asleep right now because it's something I talk about a lot but I just think that the parallels between him and Drogba are just incredible in that he's had these first two seasons at Chelsea where he's done well but you thought there's more there yeah. but then he's almost been I'll tell you where there's more in the air yeah, the, yeah, there is. There yeah, is, really. But, I think for somebody of his physical presence he should be better in the air but I, I, I just think as well though that I know it, it might seem a bit silly to make this comparison because there are different strikers, but just in terms of the scenario around they've signed for the club at the same time, they've been these unfancied players, and they had his first two seasons, and they've always, there's always been a will he, won't he in terms of will he go back to what the... What do you mean unfancied players? Well, Diego Costa didn't come through a massive academy and be this, this big star that people were talking about. Oh, you mean he was a late developer? Yeah, he's a late developer, right, and it's what Drogba did. You know, you read Drogba's autobiography, and you, know, you hear about everything he had to go through in terms of how he had to battle to become a footballer, and it's sim- something similar to what Costa's done. Yeah. And he's got that he's got that in him, you know, he's got that bite in him, but I just think there's always been this will he, won't he in terms of will he go back to Atletico and it was with Drogba where will he go back to Marseille and there was, you know, it, be- it became public enemy number one for diving. Costa became public enemy number one for arguing with refs and, you know, being a little bit dirty. Now he's cleaned up his act. He got booked against Arsenal. He hasn't been booked since. I think it's eight games since he's been booked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Seven, seven games. He's seven been games. going to every single game one yellow card away from the back. Exactly. He's been playing on the edge the whole way but through. Have you noticed now as well that People like me aren't talking, you know, I say people like me, journalists, aren't talking about Diego Costa, the villain anymore. They're talking no. about Diego Costa, the player, and that's a massive, con- you know, a massive compliment well, to him. Well, 10 goals, four assists, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's proving itself to be, a, you know, at the moment, a, a great season for him. And, and also, it's Pedro as well. You know, we talked about Pedro earlier. Has had a hand in eight goals in his last six Premier League appearances, three goals and five assists. You know, these are, are players that are really playing at the top of their game. Um, and, and Matic as well is another one. You know, six Premier League assists this season, one more than his two previous cam- campaigns combined. It's incredible for a player in his position as well to get that many. And you got the, you got the assist for Pedro. Yeah. You know. um, and again, you know, these... It's interesting, isn't it? Pedro, Matic, Courtois, three players that we've spoken of today, not fans' favourites. You know, not... not good, I, and I think for good reasons, too. I don't think there's any... The fact that they're... Un, I wouldn't say unpopular, but they're not sung in the same way that other players are. I think there's good reasons for that. Because they were all very, very poor last year. And there, there is an issue of watching them now and sort of 
thinking, well, why were you so poor last year? I think the team just generally looks fitter this year. I, I think. I, I think. I think Matic was because he had Fabregas playing I, next I to him. Also, I also think doing the job of two men. Exactly. But there was there was a great comment during the pre-season where I think they were talking to one of um, the trainers and they were saying that six days into this pre-season they'd already done more training sessions than the entirety of last season, and they just looked. I think a lot of those players were undercooked for a long time last year. Yeah, I think as well though that you can't really rule out the psychological impact of the start they had and that these were players that were elite players for so long who weren't used to really scrapping at the bottom of the table and it wasn't a relegation scrap in the way that Sunderland are in a relegation scrap now but it was a relegation scrap this time last year and you know I hold my hands up I didn't want Jose to go but obviously him leaving has been a massive bonus for the club I, I didn't want him to leave and my judgement was wrong but I think that I don't think your judgment was wrong. I think I think we all had an emotional yeah. tie to Jose, yeah, I, I, and I, think, it, it, I think it felt like the end of an era, the end of a relationship. Yeah, but yeah. I, I think that you know, at the same time, is that it clouded the judgment because you're thinking about oh four to oh seven, and you're bringing emotion into it rather than yeah, pragmatism. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. But I, 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 but I think you, you talk about the players being unfit as well, though. But you could see him going on the pitch, and it was the the England, you know, the England problem. You know that they go on the pitch and they're scared. Mm. And those players were going out on the pitch and they were scared against Bournemouth because they were thinking Bournemouth are breathing down our neck in the table. We can't lose this game. One of the reasons I felt that we started to turn the screw a little bit in the Spurs game was upping the tempo. And we felt like we were playing not our tempo in the first 20 minutes. And then when we started to move the ball quickly, we started to move it. When when Hazard became more involved in the game, when Pedro became more involved, we started to move the ball quickly. I mean, the reason we eviscerated Everton was because we moved the ball really quickly. Now, you mentioned a, a point earlier on about possession. We only had 46%... Yep. possession against Spurs um, and actually you know a lot less passes I mean they passed 459 times we only had 386 I mean it, they we had conceded a lot more possession that's almost half what we passed in the, in the last game that we played so we are playing games to the situation rather than just dogmatically playing our game and I think that one thing that Mourinho does is he doesn't change his system yeah. he doesn't change his approach and he relies on his players to carry out those instructions whereas Conte seems a lot more flexible in the way that he approaches problems and challenges but what he's done as well is it's just having the he's got the right amount of stars the stars in that team are by default Pedro being part of it but he's built the team with Costa and Hazard in mind in terms of the way yeah. everything's channeled to them but he's got the, the, the ugly positions that, and I, I say that no, you I know, know exactly what you mean. The ugly positions are by players who don't mind doing it. Yeah. Moses, they're all humble pinch- as well. Yeah, they exactly. Seem- and Moses is probably pinching himself that he's part of a team that's top of the table and he's a massive part of it. And suddenly, everyone's glad he's not going to the African Cup of Nations. You know, and look at. I mean, and look at Kante. How good is Kante? Every time I watch him play, the interceptions he makes, the way he dominates that position. I mean, he was a little bit on the back foot for the first 20 minutes, but I think he's an incredible player. And See, absolutely un- unsung, unfashionable, unnoticed player. He's the base player in our team. And the, if you took him out, you would notice. And it's the, the thing about Kante is um, when you go to the Chelsea training ground after the press conferences on Friday and, and, and other days, sometimes as you're walking out, you'll see the players driving out. And, you know, these are multi-millionaire players and they're driving the sort of car that I want to drive. But then Kante... Well, you're from Essex, though. Right? Yeah, yeah. You know, they've got a Ford Escort van with massive so hubcaps. Are you. <laughs> <laughs> so are you. A different part, a different part of Essex, I'll make note. Yeah. 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 But, um, I got out of but Essex Kante, as soon as I could. this just sums him up as a player and as a person and just everything. He drives a Mini. Yeah, you know, I love that. He drives a Mini. That's brilliant. Apparently he's really quiet, too. Yeah, it's really quiet. But, you know, you look and you think, 
you could have a Bentley Sport, you could have a Range Rover Sport, you could have any car you want. But it's you clean drive like a, a dick, Gary. You know, that's what it is. Yeah, well, that's yeah. it, mate. Yeah, give me money and I will be, but... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, but Anca- yeah, Antonio Conte is the first Chelsea manager to win seven consecutive Premier League games in a single season since Mourinho, who won nine in 06 and 07. So, certainly got the momentum behind him. Let's just, um, as we come towards the end, just hear what Conte had to say after the game. He said, I'm satisfied with the way we fought back. These games are difficult. It was a tough game with a lot of intensity. Tottenham started well. It's not easy to go down 1-0 but I'm pleased with the performance and the reaction now it's important to continue the work it's too early to talk of the title the league is very tough Tottenham showed in this league there are 6 or 7 teams that can win the title it's important we continue in this way and improve confidence 6 or 7 teams that can win the title do we agree with that? No I'd say there are probably 3 probably 4 teams that win the title probably us City Liverpool and Arsenal I don't I don't think Spurs I think Spurs had eight or nine players who played very, very well for 38 games last year. I just can't see that happening again. United aren't in it. United are a poor side. I think Chelsea Liverpool have an advantage not playing European football. I think Arsenal will inevitably bottle it at some point, which is why... Well, they seem to have done so throughout the whole of November, haven't they? I mean, well, and, the whole lost, the last yeah. te- and the whole of the last decade as well. Yeah. I'd worry about City getting ahead of steam because they seem to be faltering at the moment. But... I think we're favourites at the moment. We're the best team in the... You know, we can't, I think we're the best team in the country at the moment. On, on form. You so, can't, course, you can't on form argue that. changes, but... Why, why shouldn't we fancy ourselves for I the think title? We, I think we need know? to take oh, at the top of the table. They, of course they should yeah. fancy themselves. I, I don't think you can write off Spurs, though. Um, no. Well, maybe. You know, there'll probably be people cringing as you know, listening to this as I say it, but I think, I think they're an absolutely brilliant see, team. I can and see them getting top four, but I can't see them being there in the last... Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not going to, you know... Put, you know, say they're their favourites or anything like that but I just think a team with the players that they've got and the way they play football that they're going to win more games than they lose and I think they were very unfortunate to come away with a, with a defeat on, on Saturday Are they yeah. going to be in the Europa League now? Yeah they will be yeah So I think with their squad playing Europa League and Premier League I don't think they're going to No I, I think, think that's a fair point yeah. I mean look I caution against uh, complacency Chelsea lost 3-0 to Arsenal on the 24th of September we dropped to 10th in the table 8 points behind Manchester City mm. now we're top 1 point above Liverpool and Man City in 2nd and 3rd respectively We had a 9 point Arsenal. swing in, so in people, 6 games people can swing yeah. you know I mean it, it's a funny old game as they that, say that, that's why as well that I know you know completely take your point on board about United being a poor team that I was chatting to my brothers about her just recently that you know because they're anti-Mourinho and we had a big fallout over it but um, you know, see Jose bloody splitting up families but um, I just think they've got the players that they can go on that run that Chelsea have gone on but it needs Mourinho to change it and that's the thing I don't I can't see Mourinho changing I was looking at last season, why was he keep on playing Ivanovic? Why aren't we changing formation? He's, I think he's making the same mistakes as he did last year. Yeah. Not to the same extent, but he's still doing things in a strange way. Yeah. I, I, I think I think there's a lot to be said for all of that. Let's just quickly run through the youth. I'm conscious of time. Uh, development squad. Uh, no big games. Uh, no big names in the uh, in the game this week. Uh, they twice came from behind on Saturday to secure a 2-2 draw against Man City away from home. Chelsea scorers were Ika Ogbo and Mason Mount with an 89th minute equaliser. They start their European campaign tonight with a home tie against Feyenoord at Aldershot in the Premier League International Cup. The under-18s made it four wins in a row as they secured a 2-0 victory away against local rivals Fulham on Saturday with two late goals in the 85th and 92nd minute from uh, Luke McCormick and a stunning free kick from the in-form Martel Taylor-Crostell. Their next fixtures is against Arsenal away on Saturday morning. So, Saturday, 12.30pm, uh, early kick-off, Man City. Let's have a prediction. We've talked a little bit about the game. Gary, prediction. 
the winning run will come to an end, but it'll be one all. Draw, okay. I think we'll win 2-1. We'll be one down, rally second half. Similar to the Spurs game. I think he can get at City. I really do think he can get them. I think we need to be brave, and I think we need to, to, to go at them, and I can see us winning 2-0. Okay. I think he can get at them, but I just think they're I the type of team that, that plays better against teams like Chelsea. back to the weakness. Yeah, I, I think Alonso and Moses pushing up, I think that's where we'll get them. Listen, really good, really uh, stimulating discussion, some um, some robust debate there. I'd like to thank Gary Hayes, uh, Bleach Report. Make sure you read stuff. What's your Twitter handle? Gary with two R's, Hayes, not Jerry. So you spelled it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Connor Riley, who won our competition to come on. I hope it was as good as you hoped it would be. No, it was a great time. Brilliant. And um, do come and join us again. You were great. I'd love to. I had a great time. Fantastic. Too. Lovely. Such a shame Kerry wasn't here so you could share the room with him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terrible shame. Listen, thanks everybody. We will see you again uh, next week. But for now, we'll see you then. Bye. If you like this podcast, come and join me, Mark Webster, for the Whistleblowers, a weekly show that looks at the topics that all football fans are discussing this week at thewhistleblowers.net. And it happens to be brought to you by the same lot that produced this one. Sports Social Podcast Network. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.